there's just so much margin of safety. I feel like um, this is a pretty good vehicle. It's got low barrier to entry. I can get started with the 5,000 bucks I've got to my name. Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we help you unlock your potential freedom through land investing, real estate investing, and entrepreneurship. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have a special guest on our episode, Ajay Sharma. Ajay, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Dan. Pleasure to be here. You've been a successful full-time land investor for multiple years now. Honestly, there's not too many full-time land investors out there just being a smaller industry and smaller niche than it is. Walk us through your background, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started land investing roughly three years ago. Um, knew I wanted financial freedom, wealth building, all that kind of stuff. Real estate seemed like the right vehicle. And so went down the YouTube rabbit hole, um, you know, went down to stuff, bought his course, sent out a mailer. Uh, and, and no joke, you know, I sent out, I think it was 150 uh, yellow postcards to a tax delinquent list and got my first deal. It was a buy at 3K. I sold it for 15. After realtor and title fees, I made like nine grand. And I thought I was the richest man in the world. And it was like, okay, easy. So you spend 80 bucks on marketing. You make $9,000. This business model seems great. (laughs) Now, unfortunately, my beginner's luck of success um, made it a little bit slower in terms of when I learned you actually needed to spend some big boy money to get deals pretty consistently. But, you know, fast forward now, I've got four on staff, temporarily three. My acquisitions manager just delivered her second child, so she's on leave for about 10 weeks. But we've got four on staff. I've got a business partner who's my my integrator to speak traction, if anybody's read that book. His name's Ben. He's a rock star. He's right now making sure the business makes money while I'm doing stuff like this. Um, and uh, yeah, we're rocking. We average about five contracts a month all through texting. We're testing out a couple different marketing channels, but uh, that's what we got going on. When you're diving down that rabbit hole like everyone does when you first enter a new business model, I've been in like 10 different business model models. What you know, what that rabbit hole looked like and what made you decide on you're, you were looking for passive income, whether it was land or something else, you were going to find it or not passive income. You were looking for income whether it was land or another business model, you were going to find that eventually. What made you go down the land investing and sell out the land like you did? Real quick, guys, you know that I don't run any ads on this. So the only ask I can ever have with you guys is to help me spread the word so that we can help more real estate entrepreneurs make more money, help feed their families and help achieve more freedom in their life. The only way we can do this is if you could rate, review and share this podcast. So the single thing that I ask you to do is if you could just leave a review, it would take only 10 seconds. It would mean the world to Ron and I, but more importantly, it may change the world of someone else. Yeah, great question. So honestly, like for me, I was just kind of broke. So like it was, um, you know, I, I had a W-2 and I was living at home. So my overhead was super low. I'm grateful enough to not had, I, I didn't have massive amounts of debt or anything. Um, but I needed something with pretty much a low barrier to entry. And I, I wanted it to be something where I didn't feel like I was going to screw somebody over. So like when I looked at the house world and the apartment world, it was like, man, if I tell somebody, you know, hey, I'm going to be able to buy your house for 120K and try to like flip that contract. Um, I was terrified that I wouldn't be able to fulfill and I just feel like a scumbag, to be honest. Whereas like with a piece of land, like if I made a bad investment, it was my own money. I knew I could afford a couple thousand bucks to buy a cheap piece of dirt in some random place in the world. And uh, the, the risk just seemed relatively low. Not to mention because you're consistently buying, 
between, you know, back then it was 20 to 50 cents on the dollar. Now it's probably closer to like 40 to 50, um, sometimes even a little bit higher depending on if you're doing a value add strategy. But um, at the time it was like, okay, there's just so much margin of safety. I feel like um, this is a pretty good vehicle. It's got low barrier to entry. I can get started with the 5,000 bucks I've got to my name. Really good point. That's kind of what, that's what we recommend to people coming in. Have about five thousand, three to seven thousand. I mean, the more the better. Don't get me wrong. If you have big boy money to throw <laughs> out marketing, like then then your money becomes your marketing becomes less valuable in your head. Therefore, you try more. Like you said, it's a shotgun approach. Prior, but yep. what? So you said you're doing five deals a month. What what are your deal sizes looking like? Yeah, that's a great question. It like really depends, Dan. So like. Um, we do some double closings and then also do some flips. So like our worst deal in recent history, we had a, <laughs> a $1,200 assignment. Um, I can go down the rabbit hole of just some things not to do, uh, but I want to answer <laughs> your question. Um, and on the higher side, we've got a deal right now. We just bought 40 acres in Florida for 150. We cut it up into two 20 acre lots and we have it listed right now at 300. We've got a couple people walking the property. So kind of all over the place. Um, when we do the uh, good old Excel equals average formula though, we get about 20 grand of gross profit on our deal sizes. Now here's a caveat is that is before overhead and deal splits if we work with any funders. So yeah. I just, I want people to know, Hey, I don't don't have a hundred grand going into my pocket every month yet. I wish I did, but I'd be lying to you if I said that's how the math played out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's the most expensive part of this business is your deal funding splits and then your marketing. And that's just how it is. And then you build up capital and you start having enough to put it in. And those ratios change over time for sure. Right. You said you have four employees, one on leave. What's that team look like? You said your acquisition manager, what else you got? Yep. So we've got a full-time uh, texting VA. So she's a rock star out of the Philippines. She's just sending out like a thousand texts every day. And then this is a little atypical, but she actually also comps properties. Um, I don't recommend this to people. It's just kind of how it played out. Like I always invite my team um, to come forward if there's something in the business they're interested in. And she took an interest in comping and we said, have at it kiddo. And, and she's been crushing it. Nice. And so um, that's, that's employee number one. Next is a lead manager. So we run our business a lot more typical to like how a mortgage broker would, or like how a house wholesaler would. Um, we're a little bit bigger on scheduled appointments. Um, we're super, super aggressive on our follow-up and we have a lead manager, which is not always a role people talk about in this niche, but essentially what she's doing is qualifying and disqualifying properties, right? So this is a big marketing and sales business. And in the sales vehicle, it's extremely important that when you're generating leads, you get bad leads out of the way, right? So you disqualify them. And if they're good, you qualify them and get them through your process as quickly right. as possible to make an offer and follow up on them. So that's employee number two. Um, and the next in the chain is our acquisitions manager, she rocks. Um, she's US based. Um, she's currently on leave because she just delivered her second child. So out for the next eight and a half weeks. Today it's August 7th. Um, Veronica, if you're listening, we love you and are grateful for you as a team. <laughs> she's probably not listening, but uh, in her place is our Latin American lovely VA, Anna, um, who she came in to be kind of like our transaction coordinator, help with Dispo, and just kind of like fill in the gaps. Honestly, we just needed help everywhere. And we were like, we just need to hire another employee and figure it out. Not the best way to hire guys. We just were like drowning in some stuff. And so we, we made a quick hire and it ended up being good for us. Um, hire and fire based on culture and integrity. Um, all that to say, she's filling in for Veronica right now in her first week out. Uh, well, I guess on his first week in, she got three verbal acceptances and already one contract signed. So nice. working on tying up our process to make sure we get contract signed closer to that verbal acceptance. But that's a whole other story I can go into. And then up top is a visionary integrator. I'm visionary. My partner, Ben, is the integrator and we're running shop. Got it. Very cool. Let's dive into texting since you 
get 100% of your deals now from texting, but you said you started with sending out yellow postcards, you said. So you're yep. sending mail to start. What got you into texting? Let's talk about some of the pros and cons of texting. Obviously, it's a more operation. So I want to see that process kind of built out, how that looks, because most people listening either don't do marketing in this business model or they do it, but they mainly do it off, off mail. Yeah, and you know, I'm going to put a caveat in here that if you're brand new, um, and you have a decent marketing budget, like at least five grand, I would probably, I would absolutely start with direct mail. Okay. Just like going to put that out there and I'll explain why. So let's talk texting pros and cons, um, and mail pros and cons. All right. When you're comparing them side to side, um, let's talk mail first. Cause I think a lot of your listeners are going to, um, resonate with this a little bit better. But the thing about mail is you get, um, fewer leads, right. In aggregate, but those leads are much higher quality. So you have to filter through so much less, and they're a little bit easier to get a hold of. And I'll explain what I mean by that a little bit later. But typically with direct mail, you're just getting a much more qualified lead. Anybody that's listening to this that has been in like the internet marketing space, I always say, um, like I talk to people who like do high ticket and run ads and stuff, and it's like your direct mail kind of mirrors like a, a video sales letter, like a VSL, whereas like texting is a lot more like a Facebook group funnel, <laughs> okay? And so texting, you're getting um, cheap leads. I think our average cost per lead on texting is around 30 bucks, whereas with mail, it can be anywhere from like 50 to 200, just depending on your mailer. And so we'll get a cost Cost per lead of around 34 bucks. We have a cost um, per contract of I think roughly five to six hundred, which is extremely cheap. But we also have, and that includes our, our data, our texting, um, VA, and our skip tracing and our software. Uh, but anyways, all that to say, like in texting, you have much higher touch, but you have much lower quality. So it's really important that number one, you set some parameters of what qualified even means. I think very quickly, I see a lot of investors struggle when they come into the texting world because they don't know how to qualify. They try to make offers via text, which very rarely works. All right, there's just like all these pitfalls you need to look out for in a very high touch marketing channel, like RVMs, texting, cold calling, that type stuff, right? Versus with direct mail, most of the direct mail people um, are pretty bad at follow-up, to be honest, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. It's a whole separate, you know, we can do a whole episode on follow-up if you want to. Um, but typically, you hear a lot of people who will follow up with those leads like two times, and they'll, and they'll get deals, right? Because your leads from direct mail are just that much more qualified, where it's mm -hmm. it's an easier touch. Uh, they're, they're more low-hanging fruit. Whereas texting, you got to work a little bit harder. You have to follow up a lot more aggressively. It is cheaper, but you have to do a lot more work to screen. Like, you need somebody there four to six hours a day if you want to generate leads consistently out of texting is what I'll say. So there's high level um, pros and cons is texting's cheaper, higher touch, low quality leads. Mail is a little more expensive, low touch, higher quality leads. Got it. So for, for mail, we're sending out about 2000 pieces of mail per deal. We're averaging out about the same profit per deal. It's like 25,000 or something going up because we're attacking bigger deals. Good. But Texting like so we're getting we're sending those 2000 out we get 13 calls back on average from that so that's like a 0.6 ratio or something 0.6% and then we're getting one purchase or we're getting one property that we're actually purchasing and about four purchase agreements three of them suck whatever one of them we actually go through and buying what's this ratio look like in terms of texting like how many texts are you sending out you said you're doing a thousand a day yeah roughly so what's that rate so like what are you how many leads are you getting per thousand yeah, and it, so I just like want to be very careful in how I respond to that because the definition of a lead depends on who you yes. are as an operator. So I'm sorry, I always start with a list of assumptions because I'm a big nerd. And um, mm -hmm. so with texting, 
um, what you're gonna see is if you send out a thousand messages, you can expect about a 20% response rate initially, okay? And when I say response, that's, hey, Dan, I see you're in, you, you own a property in Hudspeth County, Texas. Um, you know, would love to chat about it if you're around or something like that, right? And you would say, yes, right? <laughs> that's a response. So you're gonna get yeah. roughly 20% initial response rate, give or take probably 5%. Uh, five to eight, just depending on you know area codes, time of day, that sort of thing. But if, if you're going to receive that, about half of them are going to be like, no, F you, go away, I hate you, scammer, blah, blah. The other half is going to give you some kind of response. Now, um, the way we qualify determines our lead count, right? And so in my business, what we do is three things, essentially. Number one, we're just verifying the seller, right? Hey, are you Dan? Yeah, you're Dan. Okay, great. All right, check. Um, number two is would they sell their property for a reasonable price in a reasonable amount of time? Now that is extremely vague and we like to keep it that way and here's why. Is essentially, I just say, hey Dan, like just you know, out of curiosity, if we were to come to terms on a price, would you sell your property in the next 30 to 90 days? And the reason I ask that is to make sure, like it, it really helps um, eliminate some tire kickers that are like, well, I don't really know, right? And it's like, okay, well if you don't really know, I don't know that we're gonna make a deal happen. Where it's like, yeah, if we, if we agreed on a price, no problem right? And that's super important to us because we do some double closings. So we'll take a property under contract if we've got 30 grand in margin on it and the seller is going to let us, um, you know, market the property. So we actually Mm -hmm. just got one signed recently. We have under contract for 160 grand. I found a realtor. uh, We, let me take a step back. We we also will try to get an attorney in fact document signed, which is like a power of attorney light is what I always call it, right? Um, and, and the key difference, legally speaking, I am not an attorney. This is not legal advice. But to my understanding, legally speaking, is that you don't need to get an attorney in fact notarized, but a power of attorney you do. That's a key distinction. So attorney in fact, you can basically just have them DocuSign, PandaDoc, whatever you guys use. And so we'll get that that says we can explicitly market on the MLS, work with agents. And so we can double close and work with agents on the dispo side, which is really cool. So anyways, we got this property under contract at 160 and I'm pretty sure we've already got a buyer lined up around 250 which is awesome. So, you know, that's a deal where I'm like, that is awesome. I wouldn't have been able to make these numbers work on just like a flip. You could, right. but if you're borrowing money, it just, it, it gets it thinner really, really quickly. Whereas Absolutely. in a double close, you don't have to really share money, which is nice. Right. Unless right. you need some transactional funding. Um, but in this particular state, I actually have a title company that'll do pass-through funding. So in my BDC yep. transaction, they'll let me use my end buyer's fund, which is really cool. Um, so that's number two though. Reasonable price and a reasonable amount of time. And then number three for us is willing to get on the phone. And this is really, really big for us because we just, number one, we believe business happens over the phone. Uh, but number two, if somebody's not willing to just like talk with you for five minutes about their property, they probably couldn't give a rat's about whether they sell it or not. And I'll say this, like we're not necessarily looking for motivation. I think um, real estate has this big stigma of looking for like a motivated seller and truly it just like doesn't exist in land the same way if we're being fully honest, right? Mm -hmm. We always say, so like to speak Tony Robbins language, he says you're either running towards pleasure or away from pain, okay? So is pain the motivator or are we seeking out a desired end state essentially? And so we say in land, it's a lot more desired end state. So if we were conversing, Dan, I would say, hey, Dan, um, so just out of curiosity, I mean, like, what would you do if you had an extra 20 grand? And let's pretend, Dan, you're married and you're 60, right? And you would say something like, well, hey, I, uh, I haven't taken my wife um, on a vacation in a long time, and we'd love to go somewhere with the grandkids. You know, I'd probably take them to Disney World. And I'd be like, well, Dan, I could get you a check in about three weeks for $20,000 for your property. So, I mean, if, if you're ready to go, what do you say we get you and the grandkids out to Disney World here soon? 
right? You see how very quickly now we're having a conversation about your desired end state versus uh, I'm going to lose my car. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my wife right? if I don't get this property sold. It's just a very different energy and a very different conversation. Um, But I always have to list all these assumptions as people ask me questions. Now, I understand your initial question was how many leads do I get? (laughs) So apologies to all the listeners for this very long tangent. I just don't want to hold back with everybody. And I like to give you assumptions before I give you data. Now, under the assumption we are sending a thousand text messages um, and initial texts, we are going to see somewhere between three and nine leads come in on a day. It averages out to about five or six, I think. I'd have to pull up our spreadsheet. We've got it somewhere. But it's five or six leads a day on average. The range is typically like three to nine. And of those, um, we find about 70% are properties that we would want to buy or sellers we can work with. So earlier I spoke to qualification. Right, and that means two things: seller, property. Can I do business with both? Right, and so with the seller, it's oh well. I mean, it's my brother's property, but I haven't heard from him in 20 years, so I'll go ahead and work with you. No, you're you can't do that. Right? <laughs> so we we might not be able to um, work with the seller. Alternatively, the property we don't scrub on the front end because truthfully, we pull down like 25,000 pieces of data every month in order to send out as much texting as we need to do. Sometimes more. Um, just because you lose so much when you need to upload your lists. Mm-hmm. And so um, we just wouldn't want to deal with the scrubbing, to be fully honest. And uh, that just means we, we have a lot of properties that are landlocked, a lot of properties that are submerged in wetlands, that type thing. So um, of those leads that get pushed, about 70% are actually qualified. And um, of those we get into contact with and we make offers on the properties, we get a verbal acceptance for about every 1 in 12. Got it. Got it. Those are really good ratios to know. So take us through that pipeline then. So you have a lead, you qualified them, they have a good property that you want to do business with and they want to sell their property. So, you know, check, check. Where's it go next? Yep. So um, it's been pushed from our texting VA to our lead manager. Our lead manager is checking those two qualifiers. Um, Once we have those, it gets pushed to get comped. So we don't do any comping on the front end. We're a reactive neutral shop which I think is a little bit different than your business, if I understand. I think you guys mm-hmm. both teach and do a lot of, neutra- uh, excuse me, blind offers. Correct. Um, so we're, we're just, um, we've been big on the spray and pray, and I'm not advocating for that model by any means. We just used to do a lot of infill lot Florida work, and it got extremely competitive. And I started fighting all these house wholesalers for like a $3,000 assignment fee. And I said, that sucks. I don't like that business model. Let's go rural. And in order to text rural properties in like Alabama and Florida and Arkansas and Texas and Colorado, you just go through a lot of data. And so we were like, let's just keep running through these states where we know there's demand, in these counties we know there's demand, and let's see what we get. And we've done deals on pretty much every marketing campaign. You know, if you do the fundamentals, you can do deals pretty much anywhere, right? And so... Um, we have very consistently bought property in like eight different states this year. I don't advocate for that. Um, but bring that up to say we reactively comp Dan, so that's our next step. And my VA um, will spend no more than 15 minutes typically comping a property. That's super important, especially if you have talent over in the Philippines, just because they tend to be a little bit more perfectionist is what I found. And so it's really important you tell them you've got a time limit. Don't spend more than this amount of time. And I need you to be 70% confident when you give us your comp. And when I say 70%, here's what I mean, Dan, is when you look at a property and you're like, eh, like uh, 95, 110, all right, call it 100, sure, okay, great, (laughs) that's it, 
right? I understand that's a range, but that's about what my team will do so that we can get an offer out to the property. And if we start um, getting some negotiations going, then we'll spend either some more time comping or we'll get it under contract if we think we're right based on our initial comp. But essentially we get it comped and then it's ready for an offer. And we hit it hard, we offer on the property. All the while, we follow up extremely aggressively. And so like some things that most people in this niche don't talk about, whereas like it's common language with the household sailing world, is we aggressively double dial people, okay? And if you don't know what that is, I'm going to tell everybody right now. So you call a seller, ring, ring, right? You get voicemail. Happens very often. We found before we started double dialing, on average, every four out of five calls outbound we made as part of our follow-up were a voicemail, which sucks, okay? And so that means you have to make five calls to get into contact with one seller typically, depending on your list, depending on who came through, depending on how qualified, right? This is what we found as a neutral shop. And so we began double dialing, which is ring, ring, voicemail, don't leave a voicemail, wait five seconds, call again, ring, ring. Now, they are a lot more likely to pick up on that second call, and here's why. Think about every single time you get a phone call from a phone number you don't have, okay? You look at it, and you're like, no. Right. It's probably a robocaller, somebody trying to sell oh, me yeah. car insurance or my, my warranty expired, whatever it is. Right. <laughs> and so um, I, I'm just not going to pick up the phone more, more often than not, unless it's an area code that I know I'm doing business with. Maybe it's a realtor, maybe it's a title company, but usually not on the first ring. They'll send a text message or leave a voicemail if it's important. That's what you tell yourself in your head. Right. <laughs> and so you get the phone call a second time, though. And very quickly, your short-term memory recognizes it. Right. And that's why that three to five second pause between the two calls is very important. Because you look at it and you're like, oh shoot, did I forget delivery? Um, you know, do I have dry cleaning? Um, is is somebody in jail? Is you know, it, it, the, the thoughts go through your head, but it invokes enough curiosity that you're probably going to pick up the phone. Yep. And so we double dial instead of just regular calls all throughout our process, and we might even do it twice a day in the first couple of days. Elite is in our pipeline. Okay, and so like there are some really really good um, metrics to track in your business. One that we're very anal about is actually connection rate. Uh, so double dialing in the first couple of days will actually get closer to like 60% of people on the phone typically. Whereas when you don't, like I said, I mean, it's, it's dramatically lower. So you'll get like a two to three X boost in the amount of people you chat with. And in this business, we don't necessarily believe it all the time, especially if you're doing blind offers It's a little different if you just get like a signed contract back. But if you're getting phone calls, um, you paid so much money for this lead to get to you. Why wouldn't you fight to get it back on the phone to make sure either whether you're doing business with them or not, right? And so I tell my team, if, if it takes us 12 connections to get a verbal on $20,000 on average, if a property is ready for an offer, every time we connect with a seller, we make $1,500 as a company, right? So we fight for the connection. That's like something that is very, very sought out in our business. I'll pause so there. make more I know offers. Exactly, exactly. Got it. So... Another situation you probably run into a lot with your team, you have a good property, you have a good seller, like you said, maybe they want 70% market value. It's a $100,000 property, they're asking 65, they won't come down on that. You probably tried to negotiate down, have that conversation, use your selling technique so you can actually buy and flip it. That sounds like it's your step A, correct? Yep, it's correct. So then you try to negotiate, do all that, that's probably step B, and then step C, is that going down the double close route? That's correct, yep. What's that look like in terms of that? Because a lot of, we don't do a lot of that. Uh, we've done it in the past and our members are starting to do it. But what, what's that look like exactly? I, I really like that path. I think it's high value on all sides of the business. I think it's high, highly sustainable. 
What's that? What's that look like? The double close aspect. Yep. So um, I'm gonna again. I'm a big nerd. I'm gonna list some assumptions here. <laughs> um, Let's hear them. I learned this from from my mentor and partner Clint Turner um, over at LearnLand. He says typically the foundation of the land business is on four core pillars. Okay. And so you have your acquisitions, which is what we spend a lot of our time talking about. It's typically 70% of the business, so you should talk about it, right? In real estate, you make your money when you buy, so spend a lot of time on acquisitions. Well, the other um, three pieces are funding, right? We were talking about money earlier. Uh, operations, how do you get stuff done? And then dispositions, right? So that's the fourth pillar there. And so when you begin doing double closing techniques, I just want people to recognize that they are taking on another core pillar of this business. And it's an entire other marketing and sales funnel that you have to manage. So be very, very careful as you're taking it on. So somebody like yourself, Dan, that's like high level operator, probably doing multi seven figures, like going to be just fine if you have to hire another person, get some SOPs in. Yeah, no problem, man. Do some double closings. You'll be all right. 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 Now for like your newbie that's like part time and is making like seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year doing some land flips um, and has a W-2 and has a family and is like, I have this under contract. What do I do now? Right. You got to be really careful with this stuff. But mm-hmm. all that to say, um, totally, totally manageable. Just be sure to get it in some core places. And if you can, I love if I can continue to outsource my dispositions via double closing with a realtor. And to do that, you're going to need an attorney in fact document. So you can have an attorney draft that up or go to like rocket lawyer and get one, I'm sure. Um, but anyways, all that to say, here's what it looks like to do a double closing, Dan. I know you ask questions and I give you a bunch more. So <laughs> apologies, uh, apologies for that. But for us, we're going to go down this talk track, okay? And it's like, hey, Dan, um, just want you to know, like, talk to the team. It looks like we can offer you 50000 on the property. And you say, oh, no, 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 no. We can't do that, you know, blah, blah, blah. We go back and forth. To your point, I think the number you gave was sixty-five. We cannot go a penny less than $65,000. That's what we paid for it in 2007, and that's yeah. what I'm going to sell it for, right? Okay, well, Dan, uh, we do have another route where we can actually offer you more money. I think we could get you to that $65,000, but it would look a little bit different if you're interested. And then you wait. <laughs> and remember in sales, guys, silence is loud, okay? So you let them pause, process, and then they're going to say something to the effect of like, yeah, I'm interested, or oh, oh, okay, or go ahead, right? Something to that effect. Where you're then going to go into your talk track of like, so essentially, Dan, like, we do a couple different things in this business. I want you to know we're, we're a pretty small company, but we do a lot of this. We've bought and sold over 100 properties this year. Um, but typically, we're going to do one of five things when we get a property. Uh, number one is we're just going to buy it, right? And we buy and hold sometimes. Um, you know, obviously, like we're an investment company, so at some point, we're going to sell the property and make money. Uh, now, we also work with a couple of different partners. So sometimes I'll JV with local investors in the area, right? So I'll, I'll show them the deal. I'll talk to them. They'll put in some money. I'll put in some money. We'll work together on it. Sometimes I work with some local builders. We'll partner on the land and the construction and do some fun things there and either I'll get a fee or we'll, we'll work together on something. Um, and then sometimes I, I leverage some uh, marketing platforms like the multiple listing service um, or partner with some agents in the area, right? Um, but essentially, Dan, look, what I want you to understand here is that um, at the end of the contract, like nothing really changes for you. This is just stuff on our end, okay? Um, and so it, it, at the end of the process, title company is just going to ask you wire or check, right, for your $65,000. So nothing's going to change, right? And this is really important. You want to close that loop with your seller and let them know like nothing changes. Now, the only key difference here, Dan, is two things. 
number one. Um, I'm, I'm actually going to need a little bit longer on the property. So instead of closing in three, four weeks, like we normally do, I'll need about 90 days to do some extra due diligence, right? It's, it's a higher price point, And so we just need to do, it's higher risk for us. So we need to do a little bit more due diligence and we need some time to talk to a couple of our different partners, right? Both our retail and our, um, um, investor partners essentially. And so, um, as long as, um, everything pans out there, uh, we're, you know, we're, I lost my train of thought. Hang on. So <laughs> one of two things. Number one is we need a little bit extra time, 90 days, drop it around to our partners. Number two is we're just going to need an extra document signed. It's called an attorney in fact document. It's something my lawyer makes me get drafted up every time we do this. Basically, legally, that just allows me to show other people the property before I own it. If I don't do that, it's in a gray area and I get a slap on the wrist. Um, so I just need your permission that I'm allowed to show other people the property essentially. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. What questions do you have about that? No questions. Okay, great. So I'm going to send you this. You're going to get three different pages. The first page is X, Y, and Z. Second page is our purchase and sale agreement. Third page is this attorney in fact document. Very simple. Contracts are so simple. Anyone can read it. If you can get that back to me, we're going to be good to go in 90 days. I'm sorry. I realized I went too long there. Um, this is what I do with my team all day though. <laughs> so, yeah, no, you know, we're walking through the sales training. Um, but that that's the talk track we go down with our sellers when we go the double closing route. And it opens the floor so they're not surprised with the attorney in fact document. It opens the floor so they know why it's going to take 90 days. And that way, like in sales, you always want to remove objections on the front end, right? So any ambiguity uh, needs to be able to go away before they can raise the question. Essentially, right. I, uh, my my sales trainer Jenny Hudspeth, she's a rock star. She always says, um, "Uncertainty breeds fear, and fear breeds inaction." So it's extremely important for us as investors in the sales process to communicate certainty. Which is why earlier, Dan, I said, hey, but but all that matters here, Dan, is in 90 days, title company is going to ask you a wire check for your $65,000. This doesn't change anything for you, right? Because they don't need to know what I'm doing with the property. They just need to know I'm getting my butt to work, right? right. Hey, I do a couple different things. And the only reason I'm telling you this is because I need you to sign this other document so I can legally float it around, right? right? But notice I said multiple listing service, partner with realtors. That way it removes the objection of like when they see it on realtor.com and they're like, you're trying to sell my property for how much, you know? And it's like, well, hey, we talked about this. It's in the contract. I I mentioned it to you. Um, You know, apologies if I didn't communicate this explicitly enough, but I said we were going to shop your property around. It's exactly what we're doing, you know? And so it, it, and anytime I've had somebody find the listing and come back to me and I say that, it hasn't been an issue. I haven't gotten a cancellation. Nobody cares. You know, they get their property or their money and we're all good to go. They just want their $65,000. Exactly. So what percentage of your closings of your business is double closing? Yeah, it's um, it's like 40, 60. Um, just to, and honestly, it flip-flops wow. between which is which, just depending on the mm-hmm. month. Um, you know, I, I keep going back and forth because this is something we implemented at the beginning of the year. And it's it's brought in six figures of revenue for us. So like... Uh, you know, I'm not going to complain about it, but we were doing so much of the marketing on the dispo side in-house and we didn't have any dispo process, Dan. (laughs) So it was kind of a nightmare for a little bit. Um, It's gotten cleaner since then, but I'm really leaning more towards let's get as many of these to realtors as possible and communicate with them very clearly. Don't surprise your realtors. Tell them exactly what you're doing so they can be an ally on your team. Like you want them to recognize the urgency of getting the property moved and not maximizing the dollars or just letting it sit on the MLS, right? So like you want them to be a teammate if you're going to work with a realtor. You just got to make sure they're really good. And I did a Facebook Live on this not too long ago, right? Um, (laughs) I'm a nerd and, and like like alliteration and rhymes and stuff. And so I did the whole topic on like a feel good realtor versus like a real good realtor. You know? yep. yep. 
what about what's the contract look because a realtor contract you know if you're working for a normal broker in an agency and you're a realtor you're typically getting six months minimum eight months 12 months and land a lot of times is pretty common what's that conversation look like and have you had any just like where that's against their their broker laws i'll say yep i mean the short answer is yes um so like you're you're you know in on my team um, we look at talking to realtors in new markets as another marketing and sales funnel. Absolutely. And so like if we're in a new county, we have a lower um, baseline that you have to chat with at least 10 realtors, <laughs> which and is super annoying for the team. No joke. So, so on average, we get two to three. And then of those, we're going to have one to two decent realtors that'll get us an OPV, yeah. that'll walk the property, that sort of thing. So we that's why we have that minimum is because and, – and yeah. So um, all that to say, the conversation with the realtor is essentially like, hey, Mr. Realtor – um, just so you're aware, like we're, we're doing, uh, a double closing here. So I've got the property under contract and we're trying to find an end buyer before like the end of this contract essentially. And, you know, just to be clear, like we have explicit permission from the seller to market the property, both on the MLS and with the broker, both of which it says so in the attorney in fact document. So you want your language in your document to be very explicit, right? Not the just generic marketing and sales clause. You can get away with that stuff if you're just like listing on brokerlist.com. Um, and that, that's fine. And when I say get away, I don't mean like, <laughs> I don't mean that in like a gray sense, but more so just right. like it's not as explicit. Like realtors right. are going to want to see like something a lot, realtors and brokers more particularly, right? Like your Keller Williams, your Caldwell Bankers, your Mossy Oaks, your Whitetail. Those guys are all going to want to see much more explicit language so they know they're not going to get a slap on the wrist or banned from the MLS or a fine or whatever. I don't know what their penalties are. But so we're always really explicit. We share the document with them. We ask them to run it by their broker. And, you know, we still offer them a 6% commission and it hasn't been an issue. Good. And it's all about transparency. And that's what I want everyone to realize during this. Like you got to be transparent on all sides to make this happen and to make this sustainable. And it's just better business practice in general. What What's your future looking like in terms of your land investing? You said you're doing five deals now, team of four, you have the oper- you have the operator and integrator, all that stuff, or a visionary and operator. But what what's your future look like? Yeah, that's a good question. So, like, man, for us, um, I've got numbers in mind, you know, and like, I'm really trying to get us to be like a three million dollar a year gross profit business. Is the short answer? Um, that means different things to different people. The way I see that going is we do a, a little bit more on the flip side. So, um, ideally, we're doing a handful of flips a month and a couple double closings. Uh, so just going to like uptick, um, what we're doing right now, we're assessing between Facebook leads and direct mail to be our next marketing channel to supplement what we're doing. We just want higher quality is the short answer. Mm -hmm. So the thing about texting is like, if I want to double my marketing, I have to double my team effectively. And I don't necessarily want, you know, 10 team members. Um, and so we're looking at a higher quality lead generation source. We're messing around with both Facebook leads and uh, direct mail. Ask me again in three months how that's going. <laughs> um, once we get there, the goal is very intentional, like big Texas subdivides one a quarter this is the short answer. So we've underwritten a handful of deals from our pipeline this year. Um, you know, we've done a couple minor lot splits. We're trying to do some more on the bigger side that, you know, is multi six figures, potentially low seven. And if we can get one of those a quarter, we're on track to where we're headed. Absolutely. Very, very cool. Yeah. I think we're on the same path too. like the, the subdivisions, big properties, you know, getting a lot of seven figure deals, not a lot, a few seven figure deals that adds <laughs> up to a bunch of the small ones that we're used to. I mean, now yeah. it's, it's cool seeing everyone in the industry keep upping and upping. We just had someone get a $700,000 deal that's listed wow. for 1.4, uh, multiple that's over awesome. 500,000 that I've seen and funded. There's just a lot of big numbers out there. And it's cool because a lot of these are big projects, subdivisions, you know, and it's not that complicated when you talk about minor subdivisions. Once you get in major subdivisions, it's another animal, but 
there's so many value add opportunities like you're talking about. Yeah. And honestly, like I think there's going to be an opportunity over the next 18 months uh, if, if you're really good at your dispo particularly. And so like we're, man, if you have some, some tips on auctions, I would love to hear them. But um, if you can get really good dispo process down on the acquisition side, I think there's going to be an opportunity for like buying with owner financing here soon at like in, in mass to a point where like you can buy deals at very low capital in um, and then cut them up and uh, sell them with either auctions or whatever your means are to get that dispoed pretty quickly. So that's something we're working on kind of behind the scenes right now and thinking through, but you know, it, it takes a village, right? So yeah, like absolutely. a lot of moving There's so many there. different ways you can go down this business and so many different niches and subcategories too. And that's well, a lot of the times I tell newer people at this, just get good at buying, evaluating and selling land. Just keep it yep. as is. Don't go down a rabbit hole of all the other things that you can do. Yes, you can go down those, keep your eye on it for the future. Do that five to 10 times, then start looking at it. Because I think one of the hardest things to do in business in general is stay on that straight line path until you get good and then start expanding out. What, it, what's, your, like, what's your opinion on the hardest things to overcome in this business model while starting out? <laughs> Shiny object, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like you hear all these different strategies and, and you're like, man, should I go target trophy properties, do subdivides, get infill lots, do rural, what state should I hit, disclosure, non-disclosure, um, what's the difference between all these different places, do I go in my backyard? I feel like nobody ever invests in their backyard. I know people in Texas invest in Florida and people in Florida that invest in Texas and it's oh, always yeah. so funny how they kind of flip, you know, but anyways, um, I bring that up to say just like don't overthink it. Um, pick, pick one, pick, pick a County, pick a couple, um, do, do exactly what Dan just said, right? Do your marketing, uh, evaluate land, follow up with sellers until they die or you die and make offers. And if you do that enough times, you will get deals. It's as simple as that. And so make your money before you start trying to do a couple different things and it'll serve you a lot better in my opinion. Just like get the fundamentals down. Absolutely. Could not agree more think we're wrapping things up here, Ajay. Appreciate all the advice you've had. And it's really cool hearing different parts of the business that I'm more unfamiliar with, like texting and double closing. I really like those doors being open. Where, where's the best place? Where can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, people can reach out to me on Instagram. Pretty active at uh, investing with Ajay. Perfect. Well, thanks for joining us, Ajay. Yep, absolutely. It was a pleasure, Dan. Grateful to be here. Thank you for joining. If you guys have not, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps our business grow, and we really, really appreciate it. But other than that, guys, thank you for joining, and we'll see you next episode. Thanks, guys.